0: Welcome to Platypod, the official podcast of the Committee for the Anthropology of Science, Technology, and Computing. Here we host dialogues and conversations about the theories, tools, and social interactions that explore questions at the intersection of anthropology and science and technology studies. This bonus content is a reading from Platypus, the Castak blog. Enjoy! Earth, Air, Fire, Water and Entropy, Internet and Synthetic Biology Pioneer Rand Radberg's Story on How Information Was forged. by Clarissa Heshi and Erico Santana Perrela. Our first encounter with Randy Ratberg was somewhat surreal. Not that the others weren't, the sui generis atmosphere is always present. But the first meeting was set in a scenario so far from our everyday reality that it felt like we'd been thrown into a science fiction novel. It happened in 2022, and we were a bit disoriented after 10 hours of transatlantic travel and two hours riding Bentleys to the British countryside. It was July, and we had left the cold and dry winds of our almost never rigorous Brazilian winter to find a pleasant summer sun that gently bathed the English lands. The people there were in a good mood and smiling. Someone told us that it wasn't a typical moment, that life was not so bright most of times. We got lucky. At least the weather made us feel a little bit at home. But only that. We were invited to participate in a workshop named Safe, Secure and Responsible Synthetic Biology Beyond Containment. Being part of a group of around 30 people, including biotechnology students, government regulators from around the world, union people and scholars. We stayed in a 2,400 hectares property called Wilton Park, in a building that reminded us of a castle, of course, in reality a Victorian mansion named Wilson House. This event was jointly organized by the Brit- British Foreign and Commonwealth Office and the International Genetically Engineered Machine, eigen Foundation, the independent nonprofit organization of which Randy, who was also attending the workshop, is president and founder. We got to know eigen while we were studying for graduation at the University of São Paulo, and participated in the student-organized synthetic biology club. Clarissa was carrying out field work as an, an-, an anthropologist with the club's participants and Ericu was one of them. Participation in international competitions was one of the club's main activities and IGEN was one of these competitions. Created in 2003 as a spin-off of the MIT department Registry of Standard Biological Parts, the international competition IGEN aims to promote the international development of synthetic biology, engaging students, young scientists, and established scientists around the world. At that first meeting, In the impressive Victorian mansion full of old paintings of men dressed in strange clothes and menacing looks, we had the opportunity to talk with Randy about his participation in the development of the Internet and about the connections of this previous experience with his interest in synthetic biology. A few months later, on an October afternoon, we had the opportunity to record a conversation lasting more than two hours in Randy's office at Igen's Paris office. Both meetings were made possible because Clarissa was hired as a Human Practices Summer Fellow at the IGEN Foundation, working with a team assigned to develop projects and research on responsible practices and synthetic biology, while Erico actively participates as a volunteer in IGEN activities involving biosafety and biosecurity. Randy is an enigmatic and extraordinary figure. He worked on a range of exciting and society-changing projects, including an important participation in the ARPANET project while working at both Bernac and Newon, BBN. There he worked on the first internet routers and package switching protocols, as well as in parallel and distributed, com- distributed computing. Machines he helped created would then be used to coordinate the U.S. military satellites and to address what would become Internet routing. He would then move to Apple Computer and to Sun Microsystems, to other leading companies in the personal computer and Internet revolution, before joining MIT. Falling in love with synthetic biology through his longtime friend, Tom Knight, now owner of Nasdaq-listed synthetic biology company, Ginkgo Bioworks, Randy ends up invited to direct the MIT Registry of Standard Parts, a department that would spin off to create the IGEN Foundation. Randy's transition from the development of the Internet to becoming a prominent figure in synthetic biology is something that has always caught our attention as it carries with it important constituent elements of synthetic biology itself we grew up along with the development of the internet we lived our childhood in a world that no longer exists nor will ever exist again we were formed in a cyberpunk broth and perhaps due to the savagery of our condition as inhabitants of a forest city we were never able to ignore the intrusions of nature our curiosity to understand more about the roots of our, our roots Cybernetic and biological led us to dig into the history of internet with countercultural tools. We read books like Neuromancer and watched movies like The Net, the Anna Bomber, LSD and the Internet and Walks or The Discovery of Television Among the Peace. It was from this cyber biopunk reference that we approached Randy and formulated our questions for him. The exercise of listening to the trajectory of scientists is very interesting for an anthropology of science and technology based on a notion of localized knowledge, as proposed by Donna Haraway. By turning to the memories of scientists from an anthropological perspective, we, were, we are able to situate techno scientific work in a given space and time and in relation to broader historical and social processes. At the same time, working with biographies and memories of scientists also makes us capable of bringing to the surface dimensions that account for the specificities of each trajectory. When questioned by us about the origins of the concept of information, Randy alternates between great historical facts, such as the Second World War, memories of his work in laboratories, and intimate family memories. This complexity of the web of scientists' memories is very interesting as raw material. For us, peripheral researchers from the global south, who practice science and technology studies as a way of imagining different possible worlds, opening listening spaces in hegemonical places of knowledge production, specially linked to what is understood as the frontier of science, such as synthetic biology, allow us a certain smuggling between different realities, a true exercise of anthropological alterity. Quote, randomness must be in there, right? And you kind of think this is like earth, air, fire and water. Those are the elements for a long time. Those were the elements, End quote. Randy Redberg was born in 1948. He began the interview telling us that while he was growing up in rural Illinois in the 50s, several things drew his attention towards science and technology. His father, who was very religious, Randy's grandfather was a Lutheran minister, and had been a prisoner of war in Japan during World War II, came back to the U.S. and, thanks to the GI Bill, obtained a degree in architecture working in a lot of urban types of buildings, schools, hospitals, prisons, after graduation. He says that his childhood and teenage years were lived in a, quote, small world, unquote, where complicated machin- machines would be farm machines. Though his world kept expanding in several directions while he came in contact with several initiatives fostering curiosity and engagement in science and technology. From Bell Labs' films and pictures promoting their own technologies and marvelous inventions to do-it-yourself science kits that you could buy from magazines. Randy remembers several scientific few teenage adventures, like building a radio from one of those kits playing with chemical regions with a friend whose father had a pharmacy, building a tin can tin- tin- tin telephone network in the backyard and playing with a huge recorder that came encased in a suitcase and that he bought selling newspapers door to door at 7th grade. The television, a very fancy machine at the time, would bring technologic tales as well. A friend's father was a professor of physics at the University of Illinois, so Randy, together with his friend, would spend a huge amount of time playing in an electronic prototype board with switches and lights that could be reassembled to create different combinations of buttons and light activations. Two other important childhood memories were how computers were beginning to feature in public imagination at the time as huge and expensive machines with bottles and flashlights, and the launch of the Soviet satellite Sputnik in 1957. In Ratberg's account, his world definitely expanded wildly when he joined MIT in 1965. While during his basic education, the teachers would often repress his curiosity, at MIT it was the opposite. Curiosity was rewarded and it would be the norm. Suddenly, teachers would consider, quote, taking things at level down, end quote, while searching for answers in a specific topic. Another thing that Randy remembers from this time was his first intense contact with a real computer. This computer had the size of a room and, and could be used by the university staff with individual accounts that could reserve computing time slots. He describes the operating interface as a, quote, big, big tube and a light pen, end quote. When Randy finishes his graduation, the Vietnam War was raging on and he didn't want to fight in it. So he goes back to Illinois to get a master's degree in physics describing it as a, quote, really, really hard, unquote, experience because of the complexity of the math involved. After obtaining his master's degree, he contacts Nicolas Negroponte from MIT's Architecture Machine Group and gets hired as a, quote, computer guy, unquote. He operated an Interdata Model 3, a business computer already small, the size of a desk table, Randy remembers how slow it was, only 30,000 instructions a second. From Negroponte, he heard of both Bernek and Newman, BBN, a government contractor that managed at the time several groups of highly motivated scientists and engineers working at a very exciting projects at the edge of science and technology. Randy says BBN was created by these three MIT professors, who were renowned specialists in acoustics and began working for the Department of Defense in this field. But soon started providing services related to other fields of science and technology, awarding several government contracts, including several from the Advanced Research Projects Agency, ARPA. In 1972, Redbergs manages to get interviews in different teams with BBN and is invited to join one of the teams that were building the ARPANET project together with people from MIT Lincoln Labs. ARPANET was an ARPA project aimed at creating a network that would interconnect all US military bases and Department of Defense facilities in a way that information could be securely and effectively shared between them. The ARPANET project created most of the currently used internet, pro- internet protocols, for example the transmission control protocol TCP and the internet protocol IP. ARPANET was the prototype of what would become the internet. In Randy's world ARPANET at the time was a Quote, four node network. It was the first packet switching network and it was four different nodes connected together by a 50 kilobyte links. So we started very slow with teletypes terminals, 10 characters per second, end quote. Randy recalls that the group had very interesting ideas about how to think about the information in terms of how they were going to transform and transport it around reliably. So, for example, the first of these ideas is the idea that systems fail often, so there must be ways for interconnected information processing systems to check the integrity of sent and received information. From this idea, the transport control protocol, one, one of the backbones of modern internet, would be born. This needed, in turn, to be coupled to a decentralized network, so it could withstand and route around problems in individual nodes of the network, such as a power outage or a military attack. And this decentralized network should be able to compose of machines of different manufacturers that would follow in hardware and in software certain common procedures and standards that would ensure compatibility and communicability between any type of device able to follow these procedures. According to Randy, building from the idea of bit encoding from Shannon and the early information pioneers, some of the really innovative ideas regarding information transfer were related to packet switching. The use of a network of interconnected nodes composed of digital computers for a collaborative and decentralized discovery of possible routes for inf- the information to travel on, and the establishment of protocols designed for the computer to speak on a common language that could be understood by computers of different manufacturers were the ways that the ARPANET team chose to solve the problem of how information could travel from, from a place to another. Prior to travel, however, the information needed to be encoded and packaged in what would become the network packet. The network packet would contain the proper information users wanted to transfer and an additional header of information, a complementary message that contains control information needed for the nodes of network to find the best routes for the information and to the effective forwarding of messages from one node to another after the best possible way is found. The combination of all protocols and ideas above would form a packet switching network. Radberg emphasizes that prior to ARPANET, data could be sent from one one place to another, but this task would require specific and expensive equipment. At his account, even in the academic and in the telecom industry, most people believed that things had their own essences and while transferring information, these essences should be transmitted. For example, music was composed of sound waves, so then the only way to transfer music was to physically reproduce the sound waves from the transmitter to the receiver, and that would require special equipment for each type of essential information. From the ARPANET on, Everyone with a digital computer, peripheral equipment and a common phone line could be connected to every other person with a similar setup and transfer any type of information such as audio, video or text in digital format. A format that would subsume the idea of the specific essences of each type of information, replacing it with the concept of digital encoded information where everything that can be represented can as well be digitally represented. Randy told us two or three times that he and most of his colleagues at the project were against the war in Vietnam and were heavily influenced by the rock and roll movement. So this forms a contradictory background against which these ideas were designed. In ARPANET, the engineers embedded a diffuse but real feeling against central control and authority funded by the military itself. With this new technology, the United States military sector would then transform itself towards a decentralized informational entity capable of operating anywhere on Earth. In a prior talk from the proper interview, Randy told us that at times, the techno-scientific problem presented for the team to solve was straightforward military. As an example, the coordination of military satellites and the live stream of video and audio between them. Actually, the network transfer of audio and video from the military was one of the first pr- purposes of the computer Redberg rep- helped created in the ARPANET project, the Butterfly BBN. BBN itself was brought to the ARPANET project because of the renown associated with the acoustical know-how of the company. The butterfly BBN is considered a wonder of the early digital computers. It was one of the first of the modern supercomputers. It used commercially available digital processors from Motorola and each machine had up to 512 of these 12 to 33 megahertz processing units. It was first programmed to act as a router machine in the late 70s DARPA's wideband packet satellite networks, making possible a continuous three megabits per second broadcast of digital data, mainly audio and video, around multiple US military bases. The machine would then be used both in the terrestrial wideband network a network that physically connected several Department of Defense facilities through high-speed capable data cables from the late 1980s to 1991. From 1991 forward, Butterfly BBN was the computer used as the first Internet routers, implementing in hardware and in software the first version of the Internet Protocol, IP. It is funny to note that, while telling us everything above, Randy, who had a Lutheran minister grandfather and a, quote, very religious, unquote, father, refers multiple times to the religion as a way of explaining how, prior to all the stated story, the ideas about information were kind of mystical and quintessential. We had the impression that, for Randy, the cybernetic revolution which he took part in, is almost like a new step in the human relationship with the universe. He, for example, compares cybernetics to the religion role in English literature, saying that the former formed the backbone for the latter. For Randy, cybernetics is the backbone of our our current mode of existence and of understanding the world we live in. In his distinctive atheist mystical language, he likens the development of cybernetics to the addition of entropy to the four original elements, earth, fire, air, and water. In the next article, we will describe the second half of the interview about Randis Redberg's transition from early internet pioneer to early synthetic biology pioneer. The next article also covers a deeper look on Randy's view of how cybernetics is connected to synthetic biology and to science and technology in general. See you soon! Thanks for tuning in! If you have any comments and feedback, feel free to share them with us on the blog. You can find the link to the post in the description of the episode.